Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 10 of the Power Company Climbing podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. We in double digits, y'all. This is episode 10. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, I don't even have to tell you it's official anymore. And you know what? I've got about a dozen or so uh, podversations in the can uh, with people that I admire and respect and trust their opinions. Uh, that I've recorded over about the last month, so we're going to start putting these things out uh, maybe a little bit more frequently, maybe every three weeks instead of every four, Uh, maybe every two if I'm feeling like podcasting a lot, so we'll see. Anyway, um, I just want to let you know where we're at. Uh, Nate and I are at the last stop of our Boulder Better uh, workshop tour, and we're in Cincinnati right now. We've had, we've been Man, um, it's been really amazing. Uh, people have really come out. People have really responded. And uh, the, all the feedback is great. All the reviews seem to be good. Um, so we're really excited for that. And big thanks to everybody who's housed us along the way. My good friends, Leif and Lindsay Gash. Uh, my friend, Brendan Leonard. Uh, Ron Vai Umot. Uh, one of my favorite people, Sophie Binder. And uh, Katie Schultz and Peter Bonamici. Uh, thank you guys for having us in your homes and putting up with us, and we really, really appreciate that. And we'll see all you guys again for sure. And thanks to everybody at all those gyms who came out. Okay, let's get on with this thing. Um, today I've got a really, really great conversation with um, probably the first name in training in in America, uh, Eric Hurst. Uh, if you've if you've ever tried to figure out your own training, you've definitely read Eric Hurst's books. There's no question. So uh, Eric and I sat down in Lander and talked about uh, energy systems training for climbing because that's a, a new chapter in, his, in the third edition of his training for climbing book, which was just released uh, and you can find on Amazon. And it's a, it's a really great update to an already great series of books. Uh, and if you have the second edition, you should definitely go get the third. There's quite a bit added. It's been reworked. Um, I think it's the best book he's ever put out. So, uh, all right, let's talk with Eric. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, this time, this time, this time. Oh, so then that's where climbing wisdom comes in. And uh, so to train smarter means to not necessarily train harder. Take so, two. Yeah, take two. Uh, first off, congrats on the book. Looks amazing, full color, it's beautiful. And I think it really steps up the bar for not just climbing books, not just training books, but you know, training books in general. Um, for me, a lot of training books are tough to pick up and read and get through, and, and they don't look amazing. And this one looks great. Yeah. So. Yeah. Congrats on well, third, getting this out there. Third time around, we got it right. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, writing one book is insane, and you've got how many before yeah. the first edition of Training for Climbing? Yeah, there's a there there's, were, there's been several there's been several books. That's for sure. I and you're three it, editions deep. Yeah, it's been a passion of mine, and uh, you know, I've been climbing for forty years and training for forty years, and <clears> writing about training for thirty years. Uh, and coaching climbers off and on for 30 years. So yeah, I've been at this a long time. You know, call me a veteran, I guess, being, being in my 50s. But, you know, this book, the third edition, um, is uh, 16 years after the first edition that came out in 2000, second edition in 2008. And, you know, those books have circulated 
internationally, I think I've tracked books to like 50 different countries. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, you don't get rich writing climbing books, but it is gratifying to know you're helping climbers around the world improve their game, enjoy climbing more, you know, enjoy the experience more. That's what it's all about for me. And it's Uh, obvious, I mean, it's obviously a passion of yours. You've been doing it forever. And, and even though I'm sure the money is growing more than it was, you know, back in 95 or whenever you published your first book, it, you know, it's still yeah. never going to make you yeah. rich. So No, I mean, yeah. that's just the nature of climbing. It's still, even though the sport's growing, it's still kind of a niche sport. And, you know, most of the growth is in indoor climbing. Um, I think they say like 5 million people tried climbing last year, but 80% of them didn't venture outside, which is maybe yeah. a good thing in terms of impacts. But, um, you know, so I, the people that just climb in, indoors for fun I, I probably don't you know, get that serious into the sure. training and buying books and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, certainly to the people that take their climbing outdoors and want to, uh, you know, take their climbing to the next level, you need information. And, you know, we've talked before, there's a lot of great information out there. I, I'm i someone that when I speak to climbers, whether it's at the crag or whether it's at a clinic or a talk, I say, buy everything. You know, no climbing trainer or author has a monopoly on the truth. We're still pursuing the truth. We're still finding out what works. Uh, and uh, even though 10 years ago, I might have thought if you asked me that I had it 90% figured out, I, I, you know, I don't think that's the case. I think we're at the tip of the iceberg and the, the new research that's being done. You know, I'm engaging the guys in the lab coats uh, doing that research, and uh, it's exciting. And um, you know, so this book. Uh, provides a fresh look. It's massively overhauled. If, if a listener has a previous edition, you know, this book is significantly different and expanded in a number of areas. And one of them is trying to build in the latest research. Um, and, yep. uh, and I think yeah. you do a great job of that, that, you know, that you dig in deep to that research that is so hard for the rest of us to read. And, and you do a great job of kind of bridging that gap between that technical scientific writing and and putting it into something comprehensible for the average yeah. person. Yeah, so. well, I appreciate that. I mean, there's other climbing coaches that read the research or at least the abstracts and try to, you know, uh, keep up to snuff, but a lot don't, you know, and that's not a slight to them. I mean, if you're in the gym and you're coaching every day, it's tough to then, yeah, you know, go sure. home and, you know, read a technical paper, yep. which can be overwhelming. And that's why I appreciate you putting these books out because yeah. – now my business is coaching. I spend sure. a lot of time coaching and writing training plans for people, and I want to know what the latest research is, and I'm interested right. to hear it, but I don't necessarily have the time to decipher a scientific paper. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, there's there's a couple of things that make a good climbing coach or trainer like yourself is, I mean, one, you need the real life experience. You need to be, have been immersed and have a significant journey that you can tap on your experience. And yours is certainly very unique and rich. Um, You also need to have experience working with clients. Every Mm -hmm. time I coach a new client, you kind of, you learn from them, you know, and you get that feedback. Uh, Everybody has different genetics and responds a little differently to programs. So each, you know, each person uh, that you coach offers you an opportunity for learning if you're you know self-aware and you know following things closely and then the third thing is the research is not being closed-minded and you know kind of thinking hey i know it all i have it all figured out um there might be days that i feel that way or maybe a coach feels that way but really they should step back and take the blinders off and realize you know uh, this is a young sport when it comes to the research and um especially in the last decade you know the amount of research has been expanding exponentially and i've in recent years actually gotten to engage these researchers personally you know next month i'm speaking to the international rock climbers researchers association their uh, summit in telluride the best researchers from around the world will be there presenting their papers and i'm giving a keynote talk on the application of their research and kind of also present yeah and also presenting some questions i've started to do some some uh, research on my own and and i think that's important because you're in the field doing it yeah, and so I, I hope to kind of maybe um, uh, exchange with them. Obviously, I want to learn from them what they're doing, but also uh, as a as someone, you know, kind of on the application side of things, um, 
show them what I'm thinking about and what questions I'd like to have answered um, in a lab setting and uh, hopefully collaborate with a couple of these guys that are have similar interests to me. And uh, so it's an exciting time. And although maybe it won't benefit me because I'm in my 50s and I'm just fighting to hold where I'm at, uh, you know, against... You're getting uh, stronger, against, though. Uh, I keep, I keep yeah, seeing bigger and newer have, sins. So having uh, teenage exciting. kids helps push me a little yeah, bit. And you, you know? know what? Just I'm just going to have to make an aside here, but... Climbing with you guys out at the crag today, Cam's a man. Like he's yeah, he's full grown now. He's grown up. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah, and John's not too far behind yeah. him. He's he's already well on his way to a stand up comedy career. Yeah, which yeah. I find they're amazing. very they're very unique individual. Uh, that's for sure. And uh, um, and I always like to point out to people that you know they read about maybe my family but don't know us is that. Um, my kids do more than just climb, you know, right. just to clarify that. I'm not an overbearing climbing parent that is just pushing my kids to follow in my footsteps. My kids came into climbing just naturally, and they play tackle football. In fact, we yeah, get home we, in we August. We talked as they, much about football today yeah, as we did climbing. They start their tackle football season, and uh, a young, growing body needs to do many different movement patterns. You know that from being a, an athlete as a teenager yep. in the school years. If you're doing one movement pattern all the time, you're setting yourself up for trouble, you know, in terms of injury yeah. and and just burnout. If you do one thing all year round, um, even adults burn out, but certainly kids can too. Mm -hmm. And what have I done for my kids if they would hate climbing by age 20 because right. they did it so much? And, yeah, uh, and they're just going to be better athletes by yeah. experimenting in other sports. Yeah. And yeah, so I think all climbers and, you know, not just my kids, but I, I impress upon all people that I work with, I, because climbing is such a complex activity, um, yeah, you get good fast. You know, those first few years, the learning curve is steep and you can get strong fast if you're training right. But it's a sport where, you know, mastery and uh, pursuing your genetic potential, you're talking, you have to have a long-term perspective. Um, and there's hey, Chris Sharma, the best climber ever, in my opinion. Um, although I guess Adam's up there and Alex certainly is as well. But Sharma's in his mid-30s and he's still pushing the limits. Yep. You know, he's talking about 15D maybe being in his future. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he's and training. He's being inspired by those young guys. So he, he is, yeah. And then Chris's resume is still growing. You yeah. can't count him out. And then you have someone like Alex <laughs> Megus, who you look at him now at 22 and you say, how much harder can the guy climb? And then you think, well, he's got another 10 or 20 years. Yeah. If he stays healthy and stays motivated and doesn't mm -hmm. burn out, watch out, you know, yeah. might be 16A in the future. So, yeah. you know, long-term perspective, that's what I tell my kids, you know, um, yeah, it's great to climb hard when you're young, but it's even better just to climb for life. And I think that's the best gift I can give my kids is if they're a climber for life. So, uh, um, but enough with that tangent. <laughs> yeah, let's let's dig into kind of some of the new things that are in the book. Um, you know, I definitely think that even if you own, you know, the first edition or the second edition of Training for Climbing, you're going to want to pick up this one. In my opinion, this is the best of uh, the best edition yet. So I think it's just improving. And there are some new things in here that I think are pretty interesting. Um, touch on a few of them and I want to kind of dig into one of them mm -hmm. in particular. Uh, first off, you've included mobility and stability training, which I think is a huge thing. And coming off of my shoulder injury last year and going through rehab for as long as I did, it really highlighted to me this, this idea that we've, you know, by, like you were just saying, by focusing on only climbing for so long and doing repetitive movements over and over, we're really just destroying our body's yeah. you know, potential to, to get better at climbing. Yeah, and if I could share one thing, I, I, I'm glad you like that because it's really maybe not the most sexy addition to the book, sure. but maybe the most important for a climber who wants to have a long career is, uh, you know, injury will sideline you. Injury will, you know, if it's bad enough, you know, if you have chronic elbow tendonitis, or if you have yeah. a shoulder that has multiple injuries or repairs, uh, it might be eventually the end of your climbing career. But uh, I present this idea of developing uh, stability before strength and strength before power. So you kind of, I, I present it in the book as a pyramid with stability at the base of the pyramid, strength being the middle layer, and then yep. the power being the top of the pyramid. So it's tempting as a climber, you know, you join a climbing you jump gym. Right to strength and power. Exactly. Yeah. You join a climbing gym or you build a home wall and then you build that campus wall and then you. You, hey, it's there, you know, and it's it's it is it is exciting, you know, to and it is fun, you know, to campus. But if you haven't developed, 
your scapular stabilizers, or even if they are developed, if you're over training, um, yep. you're going to end up with problems. And just developing good campusing technique. You know, last summer uh, we spent some time in Germany, and we went, uh, we climbed with Alex Megos, who's a friend of ours, and we went to the gym with him. And I watched him campus a little bit, and I'm like, wow, I've never seen an American climber campus mm. the way Alex campused in terms of his form, yeah. chest out, arms bent. Yep. You know, and Interesting. You, you, you know, if you go to Instagram every day, there's somebody doing their campus video, you know, right. showing their one, five, eight, or whatever. And yep. that's cool. It, it's, it's exciting. But, you know, you see fully extended arms, you see shrugged shoulders, and those yep. are all the things that lead to impingement. And so climbers rush into this, and they're not strong enough. To, to train on a campus board extensively mm-hmm. and not get injured. And um, now I'm just not strong enough to train on a campus board, period. So I don't have you to know, worry I, about I it. I tried to campus <laughs> the other day, just a few moves here and there in between deadlifting. And it was the first time I'd tried any campus moves since my shoulder injury. Uh, yeah. And it highlighted to me a weakness that I wasn't aware yeah. was there. And yeah. So I'm not going to go back in campus, but now I'm going to work on stabilizing, stabilizing those things. But it's tough because you're young and you're enthusiastic and I was there and, you know, uh, if you survive that young enthusiastic period, (laughs) good for you. But a lot of people don't because they jump straight to the campus board or they jump straight to, you know, some crazy form of training. And if you can be a little, again, that long-term perspective and saying, okay, you know what? Yeah, I have access to this campus board, but before I do that, I'm going to do a six-month period of uh, stabilizer training so my rotator cuff and my scapular stabilizers uh, can actually control the joint and put it in the proper position so that I can then campus with that good technical form. I actually have a little video I shot of Alex that I'm going to post sometime just so people can see see how controlled it was. Um, And... uh, you know, it's it's from that step. His coaches are great, Patrick and Dickie, and they take they took him uh, in training him for a decade through that step by step process. And don't put the cart before the horse. And uh, and we don't a, and we don't see that. It was a very mature you know? approach, very mature yeah. coaching, and yeah, and we again, see the end result, him crushing everything he touches, but we don't see, yeah, you know, the stabilization exercises that he was doing with his coaches. Yeah for years. That's right. And so it's, it, it, you know, all these videos out there on the internet, on Instagram and Facebook and stuff of people doing this crazy stuff. And, you know, young climber wants to try it. Um, and that's cool. I, I never like to tamp down that passion, but yet I try to, you know, educate at least the people I have access to um, into, hey, one step at a time. You'll get there, yep. but don't rush it. For sure. And um, so, yeah, that's all. There's a whole chapter in the book that focuses on that and presents some exercises, some known, some maybe not so well known, that if you do them for several months, you know, I actually, a couple of years ago, when I started doing these myself, I could get on the rock and actually feel like, oh my gosh, I'm actually pulling my scapula into proper position. Right. When you start paying attention to it, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, and it's a sensation I never knew before. I didn't have the kinesthetic awareness or the control. The scapula was just going where it wanted to go. Right. And uh, now that I can feel that, and that's, that's, you know, when you can get to that level. Yeah, that's uh, the whole point of doing these exercises. Exactly, exactly. And that's what a good coach is able to communicate. But for them to communicate it, they first have to be aware of it and understand understand it. And so, um, yeah, hopefully those coaches will read the book. Not that this is the final word. It's not, but it's, it's another step, um, you know, up, uh, in, in, in the data out there. And, um, uh, yeah, I'm glad you put it in there. Yeah. You know, it's, I think it's important and it's, I think it's gaining some popularity. Um, so yeah, I'm, it I'm is. glad and, it's in there. Um, and there, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in the book. It's 360 pages, so it's tough to in a couple of minutes for us to for sure know, go cover all the new territory. But you know that's one of the I think important areas. Maybe not the most exciting, but one of the most important. Yep. And just a quick one of the new things that you've got in there. It's it's a little short section, and it's actually something I've been using. I didn't have a name for it necessarily, but the daily undulating periodization. Yeah. You know I've got a lot of clients who want to perform while they're training. Yep. And for me, being a Red River climber, I come from, you've got a very specific season for training and a very specific season for performing. And, you know, the guys out here don't necessarily have that because they can yep. climb year-round in good conditions. So yep. 
So I've been using a system very similar to your daily yeah. undulating periodization. Sure. If you want to just describe what yeah. that is kind of yeah. briefly. Well, you know, we're all f familiar with, you know, a more standard periodization or periodized program where you do like a block of aerobic endurance, then a block of strength, and then a block of power endurance, you know, something right. like that. Um, and, you know, there's many different protocols out there. Some might be 20 weeks long. I, I, I have a 10-week uh, plan that I've used in my books for years that I really like. Um, and those work great when you have um, off seasons, let's say, or at least if yep. you're an East Coast climber, you can't really climb hard for performance in July and August because right. of the conditions. So, you know, that's a training period for your fall season. So you can do those, those blocks of, uh, you know, more, you know, multi-week or month periodized program. But what do you do during your on season? Um, uh, you, you know, or if you live in a location you can climb year-round and you can't dedicate 10 or 20 weeks to a periodized program, what do you do? Well, you know, obviously the first thing you want to do is train for whatever your current project is. You yep, know, that's, exactly. that's obviously a plan that we all are familiar with. But uh, if there is no specific project or no really clear weakness that you need to spin up, well, then you need to actually try to train everything. Mm -hmm. um, and when I say everything, I'm talking about all three energy systems, but you can't do them all in the same workout. So, um, and if you are doing them in the same workout, you're not training effectively. Um, so, uh, you know, that this daily undulating program, basically you're trying to hit each energy system at least once during the week. So if your weekend uh, is spent sport climbing, which is very pump, you know, most of the, most places, you know, one pitch routes that are very pumpy, right. um, you know, that really hammers your uh, anaerobic lactic energy system where right. you get that real acidy burning uh, in your muscles. Um, so then during the week, you would actually want to do a strength power workout, like a bouldering workout or campusing if you're ready for it or, you know, hypergravity pull-ups, you know, focus on strength and power for one session, mm -hmm. and then focus on aero the aerobic energy system, which would be volume climbing, but at a much lower intensity for one workout. And so then when you look at the week as a whole, you had your two anaerobic lactic, those are the pumpy weekend sport climbing days. And then during the week, you had your strength day and your aerobic day. So you look at it, you know, you've covered all four, or I'm sorry, all three energy systems over the four workouts. Everybody's different, you know. So if you're bouldering twice in the weekend, you'd actually want right. to do a power endurance your, session yep. and an aerobic session during the week, and let your nervous system recover. Because exactly. if you're bouldering at your limit two days in a row, your nervous system doesn't come back in a day or two. Right. Um, so really, go easy on your nervous system during the week and train the other two energy systems. Mm -hmm. And that's where the book, um, not only that 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 protocol, but actually the whole subject of energy system. Yeah, I really want to dig into that because. I think that's a really important way to train. And and I had been training that way to a degree. Um, I'm not, you know, I wasn't super versed in what I was doing exactly. It just kind of came about naturally, um, knowing that these are things I need to work on sure. and this is how I need to train them. Um, but I think it's really interesting the it's becoming a little more popular looking at it in terms of energy systems. And I think that's the biggest new part of the book right. that I think people are going to need to look at. Yeah. So let's well, kind of dig into that. Sure. So. Yeah. Well, you know, it is, it's a new way to look at things. And if someone's been doing a periodized training program where they have a block of endurance and a block of strength and power and a block of power endurance, they're, you know, you're roughly at least, you know, you're trying to train the three energy systems and target them during those three different blocks. But what's not been intimated or presented very well is what defines an exercise as focusing or targeting a single energy system? What are the, you know, what, what's the framework of a workout that should, that's just targeting strength and power, which is anaerobic alactic. Um, and so, we kind of, I think smart climbers have had a fuzzy understanding of things and have yeah. tried to uh, train in ways that they're yeah. training all three energy systems, but there's a lot of overlap. And when I see climbers in the gym and even myself in the past, there are, when, when I'm at the end of a workout and I, I write everything down that I've done, it's like, 
shit, you know, I, I actually just did stuff that trains all three energy systems, which sure. as I said a few minutes ago, means you're not training any of them effectively. Yeah, yeah it's you really need, hard to focus in. It's really hard to focus in. So in this book, every exercise presented, and there's a hundred plus, uh, is basically listed uh, as, you know, tells you what the protocol is and which energy system it targets. Uh, and then it allows you to then specifically have a workout that just focuses on exercising and climbing that targets that specific energy system. Uh, with again, the goal of being very specific. So, you know, we all, we all, you know, coaches, uh, you know, the number one rule in effective training is the rule of specificity um, mm -hmm. or the principle of specificity. You need to train in a very specific way uh, if it is to be effective and, you know, advancing you in your sport. Um, and of course, specific for climbing means climbing a lot and doing exercises that uh, mimic climbing and work the same movement patterns and uh, the same muscles and the same angle of force application. Right. But the most specific you can get on a cellular level is the way the ATP is being produced. And there's three energy pathways that generate ATP for you to power your climbing. And so the most specific form of training is one that targets the individual energy system. So we're not talking about something that a beginner is going to apply. A beginner needs to learn to climb and right. you know and develop exactly. all the skill and the mental <clears throat> skills and then develop the stability. But if you're pretty far on your journey and you're a more advanced climber, the more nuanced your program needs to be. Again, if you're training this year the way you were last year, you're not training effectively. The better you get, the longer you're in the sport, the more nuanced your training has to be to get you to the next level. And yep. so this energy system training, you know, this kind of um, paradigm that I'm presenting uh, for training specifically is another level of nuance that climbers can yep, um, sure. leverage and utilize to, to, to make their workouts more effective. Yeah. Let's, let's look at the three individually just a little bit, maybe give a few examples of exercises okay. that people can work on. So first let's look at the anaerobic alactic system, right. which is basically, you know, to put it in climber layman terms, bouldering, you know, it's, hard, short sequences. Yeah, that's right. You know, uh, and so that anaerobic alactic energy system, uh, is what powers your, 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 your peak movements, your, uh, whether it's a maximal crimp on an edge or a pocket or a, a, a powerful lock-off or a one-arm pull or a lunge, that's being uh, powered by that anaerobic elactic energy system. And the ATP and the creatine phosphate that is stored in your muscles is what powers that. And it runs out in eight, eight to 12 seconds. Yeah. yeah. So if you're doing, doing pull-ups and you start on a pull-up bar and you start doing a set of 20 pull-ups, you're not training the anaerobic alactic right. energy system because yep. 20 pull-ups, right. if you're using good form, probably takes you, what, 40 seconds to do 20 pull-ups. Well, you're deep into the, to, into the next energy system, which is anaerobic lactate, or, which we'll, we'll get to in a moment. So to train the alactic pathway, brief maximal exercises. So campus training, of course, you get on a campus mm -hmm. board. You're and not campus training where you're going up and down and up and down and up and down, no. which is where I think a lot of people make the mistake. That's right. If you're using big sloper rails and you're lapping up and down, like on big full hand things, then you're, you're in training, another energy. System. You're in the anaerobic lactic, because usually when people do that type of training, and that's a good form of power endurance training. If you're going up and down on a campus board for 45 seconds, that's power endurance. That's anaerobic right. lactic. You're training a totally different energy system. The alactic is the brief maximal power, 12 seconds or Big less. Big pulls, so the one, going, five, nine. Exactly, attempts, exactly. Maximal or, ladders you know, like yeah, that. Or double dinos, right. or if you're just breaking in, it might just be a few uh, yeah. hand moves with your feet on. Yep. Uh, you know, it's all, everything's got to be scaled. That's yep, critical. Exactly. So a beginner, uh, you know, do, if you can only do five pull-ups, well, then it's training the anaerobic alactic energy system. Mm -hmm. But if you can do 25 pull-ups, well then if you want to train that energy system with your pulling muscles, you got to add weight so you can only do five reps. Right. So if you're doing weighted pull-ups, hypergravity pull-ups as I call it, like I do them with about 80 pounds added to my body and do three to five reps per set because that's all I can do uh, for the most part, maybe six or seven at the most. Um, 
Th- that's that's your workout for the anaerobic alactic energy system. Yeah. Maximal fingerboard hangs. You know, if you're doing a minimum edge protocol or a maximum weight protocol where you can only hang on the board for five or ten seconds, again, that's training the alactic uh, energy pathway. If you're going longer than that, then you're moving into the lactic. And and here's the other way you can tell: if you're doing any exercise and getting pumped then it's not right. alactic. You're going too uh, long. You're going too long. If uh, you know, Really, if you think about it, if you're doing maximal campusing, you don't get off the board and say you're pumped. Yeah. Um, so that's what you're training. You're, you're, you're training maximum strength or power for very brief bursts, no pump. In fact, when you're doing that alactic workout, if you're doing a session that focuses on exercises and climbing protocols that target that anaerobic alactic energy system, most of the workout you're resting resting yeah definitely yeah. so that's you, tough for climbers it's tough you know, for climbers that's right you want to try and try and try and try and try and then you end up pumped you know 30 minutes into a bouldering session and it's right. confusing for people and it is and you know so what i tell my kids you know we, we i train with my boys in the gym when we're doing these max strength power workouts i'm saying today is about resting you know yeah, that's it's a, good. so so it's about super high quality efforts on whatever exercise we're doing you know perfect technique near maximal effort, it doesn't have to be to failure. In fact, most of the time, you don't want to train to failure on these types of exercises. You know, you want to stop one move short on the campus board or maybe one rep short or two or three seconds short of the limit on your on your max weight hangs. Um, but they're near maximal efforts. They're brief. And if you have a seven-second effort, it's being followed by, you know, 10 to 20 times that length of rest. Yep. So most mm. of the workout is resting. And if you've done it right at the end of the workout, you don't even feel that wasted. Right. But you know, if you know the science... It's tough for people to connect with that sometimes, especially right. initially, because they want to feel worked they out. Have, right. Know? And that's why they have to know a little bit about the yeah, science, which the, which the book tries to lay out. So you're doing those sessions, and you should know that you're not going to feel wasted at the end of them. And if you do something at the end of your session to try to waste you, it very well be counterproductive um, mm-hmm. if you're trying to target the anaerobic alactic energy system. Some elite climbers will do a split workout where they'll do a, a morning workout that targets one energy system and then, yep. then an afternoon workout with about a six-hour break in between that targets a separate energy system. That can be a very effective way for an advanced climber to go about things. Right. So if they, but you fe- need a lot of, but you need a lot of time, time and you yeah. need to be ready for that. You know, yeah. uh, you can't. You know, if you're only cli- you're on your third year of climbing and you're just starting to break into the higher grades, you can't train like Adam Andra. Right. You know, and no you way. read those crazy workouts that yeah, those no guys way. do. Um, you can't. You can't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. Yep. And so one step at a time. And again, that's what the book tries to present: is the science the protocols, and a really as evidence-based as can be at this time uh, approach, mature approach to, to going about things. Now, if all you do is train anaerobic alactic, you're going to get really powerful for a couple of moves. You'll be good at doing three-move boulder problems. Yep. But if you hit a 15-move boulder problem or you want to get on a sport route, that's not enough. You need to train the other energy systems. So again, that's what the book tries to map out is how you can go about that. So uh, that's yep. the first energy system. Um, there's, and- there's one more thing I want to touch on in in the anaerobic alactic system. And first, just a quick sidebar, something I do with my clients that I think works really well is I have some of them use a timer when they're resting in between problems. But if you're not going to carry a timer into the gym or you don't take your phone into the gym with you or whatever... I try to suggest that my clients take their shoes off in between problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really easy if you keep your shoes on to just jump back up and try it again. It forces know? you to take that But break. if you take your shoes off, you're going to sit there for a few more minutes. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's just a good, good habit to get into. If you try really hard on a boulder problem, take your shoes off, sit down, wait until you're ready to try right. again. Right. Okay. And, and again, I think a, a climber, if they're going to try to use the energy system training methods, you know, they have to recognize there is a difference between a five move, a vicious five move boulder problem, which takes 10 or 15 seconds and a longer boulder problem where you're fighting and you're getting pumped and it takes yeah. you, you're yeah. on there for 30 or 45 seconds. 
they're not the same thing when it comes to energy systems. Yeah, training. and it's easy to get trapped into wanting to send, so you end up doing the same five moves you can already do yeah. leading into the move where yeah. you keep falling. Right. And that move where you keep falling might not be maximal effort for you. It might just be right. that you're getting a little pumped right. when you get there. So Yeah, and that's the beauty of a campus board or of a system wall yeah. is that you know, you're not locked into setting mm or sending a set problem, right. you're using that uh, system wall or campus board as a tool and you know ahead of time, okay, I'm doing five moves. That's mm -hmm. it. I do the five moves, I step off and I rest. Yep. Um, you get on a boulder problem, it's not always that way. You know, Every boulder problem is different yeah, and some sure. are, most are going to take you more than 10 or 15 seconds and hence you, go, you start to go pretty deep into the uh, anaerobic lactic energy system. That's the one that you're, you're getting pumped. At. That's the signal that you're into that zone. And I guess we can talk about that next here if you want. Yeah. Um, so the anaerobic lactic system is longer boulders, short sport climbs. Um, it very much gets targeted here at the wild iris you where bet. we were climbing today. Um, so yeah, let's, let's dig into that. Yeah, one a bit. So this yeah, is the pump area. This is the pump area. And you know, there's, uh, you know, the science is still getting fleshed out. You know, there, for the last 50 years, we've heard about lactic acid. Yeah. I was going to uh, bring and, that up. And you know, it's, it's, it's a, um, a subtle, um, you know, the lactate molecules and the hydrogen ions, uh, dissociate in the body. And so lactic acid doesn't really exist. You create lactate and you create hydrogen ions among other byproducts of anaerobic metabolism of glucose. Uh, and uh, so you're getting uh, acidic uh, when you get into that pumpy zone. Uh, and we've always and, looked but, at that as a big negative thing, but lactate isn't necessarily just a negative. That's right. right. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, kind of a complex subject, uh, but science has pretty much figured it out. Um, the lactate is not a bad thing. Uh, the hydrogen ions are because right. the hydrogen ions, that's what lowers the pH inside of the cell. And actually, if you are exercising maximally for 45 seconds, the pH drops markedly inside of the cell. Um, and what that does is it affects the mitochondria, which are what aerobically uh, generate ATP and drive recovery. Um, if you climb to the point of getting very acidy chronically, many, many days in a row, mitochondria efficiency can actually be hammered back and you can actually lose endurance. Um, mm. And so, uh, and of course the, the dropping pH is one of the things that most threatens homeostasis um, and your body shuts down your basically your brain your central yeah. nervous system uh, will shut you down that's one of the reasons as you start getting pumped and, and that muscle burn um your body just starts the muscles start to shut down yep. yeah yeah um, because get... they want to preserve um homeostasis and only by stopping anaerobic metabolism of glucose do you stop making those hydrogen ions and then they can get out of the cell into the bloodstream and circulate uh, you know, and eventually be buffered um, uh, by bicarbonate and, you know, um, and actually lactate is a buffering mechanism that it's kind of a first stop or first step in trying to buffer the ions is, uh, you know, basically at about two minutes, anaerobic metabolism of glucose virtually ceases. So when you're doing those real pumpy sections on a steep sport route or on a long boulder problem, um, that pump grows and grows and grows. And despite all the training in the world, you can't go much uh, beyond about two minutes. Right. Um, Which uh, makes it pretty important to climb fast. To climb you fast. Know, we watched BJ today climbing yep. ridiculously fast, in my right. opinion, because I'm a slow, sloth-like yeah. climber, yeah. you know? And, and I heard Cam actually comment on it that he climbs really fast. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah look at Andre. Look yeah, at Vegas. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's funny. The strong climbers you think don't need to climb fast, but they're smart enough to know they need to do it. And so really what I tell people, and actually one of the ways I've coached my sons in, in red pointing is you got to get from one rest position to the next in under two minutes. The faster, the better. Yeah. Uh, you know, Cameron, and, and do it efficiently. We, and you do it efficiently. Yeah, yeah. You can't just be sloppy and fly nope. through. Moving fast is of no benefit if your technique suffers, but as yeah. fast as you can move 
uh, without a, a drop off in quality of movement is beneficial. Um, and, uh, you know, if you watch Andra um, on his videos, uh, these long sustained routes, like at Flat Anger or even some of the stuff in Spain, um, he'll go from one rest to the next in under two minutes. And if he doesn't, he falls. Um, mm. And now, what he can rest on right. totally and what different. you and I can rest on is yeah. different. Yeah. Why is that? Because he's stronger. Right. You know, so that's something I also explain in the book is rule number one is get stronger um, because that is kind of, that's, that's the ultimate defining measure on what you can rest on. And there's science behind that that maybe we don't want to get into today. But the stronger you get, the smaller the hold you can rest on. So again, for me, I need a full hand jug if I'm at the Red River Gorge to right. shake out and get something back. Right. You know, a five fourteen climber can probably shake out on a, you know, two pad hold, and maybe right. Andre on a one pad hold. Which is why it's so hard for five fourteen climbers to grade five twelves at the red because the all the holds are rest holds, you know. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's nearly impossible for them to know what they're climbing. Yeah. On. So what we're unraveling here is a pretty complex topic, tough to really fully, uh, un, you know, describe to a listener in a podcast. Uh, my book tries to do it, tries to get you started on understanding this uh, concept of energy system training and how they are all, they're all intertwined. And by the way, uh, you know, here, an example of that is the lactate that is generated by the anaerobic metabolism of glucose. That rising lactate can be used to generate ATP aerobically right so, so it basically becomes a fuel it becomes a fuel it's a bridge it. between the lactic system and the aerobic system and this is interesting there's research that shows that better aerobic trained climbers recover more quickly and one of the reasons there's several reasons but one of the reasons is they can metabolize and utilize that lactate and help hasten the return of homeostasis um, because they have a better aerobic energy system. Mm -hmm. Not only a climbing-specific aerobic energy system, like, say, in the forearms or arms, but, but a general you know, aerobic system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we could do a whole podcast on the pros and cons of running for climbers, but one of the pros of doing a moderate amount of running is you train your leg muscles to consume lactate. So think I'm about this. I'm going to have to put a bomb noise in here right now because everybody's like, wait, he's telling me to run. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's <laughs> pros and cons. Yeah, you know, There's for sure. pros and cons. And for everybody, you have to do that assessment and determine whether it will be beneficial to yeah, you or and, not. Yeah, exactly. And I think the people who love to run and who already overdo it probably don't need to be doing it to the degree that they are. Yeah. And I think people, whenever they read any training book, kind of – grab onto the things that they already do and they're already good at and oh good i'm gonna do more of that yeah. you know and i don't think that's what you're saying at all no no and you can't run yourself to being a better climber right just like you can't deadlift your way to being a better climber sure. but does that mean deadlifting is not useful for climbers i would argue as i do in the book that right. a little bit of the right protocol might actually help you out uh, and same thing with running a little bit of the right protocol the right amount will help you in certain ways obviously it'll help Somebody, if they have body composition issues, uh, you know, you drop, mm -hmm. dropping weight is the quickest way to improve your apparent strength. Uh, if you're overweight, if you're not overweight, well, then running can still help you a little bit by yeah. uh, that, the cardiovascular that, that general um, aerobic um, conditioning. Again, you know, if you're training, running 70 miles a week, you're doing too much. Right. But a moderate amount of running, you know, Alex Magos told me he runs like, you know, five to 10 kilometers, three or four days a week. That's what works for him. Everybody's got to find out what works for them. Sure. For some climbers, maybe it's zero running. Mm -hmm. um, but the research is pretty clear that aerobically trained climbers recover more quickly. Maybe not critical if you're just a boulder specialist, but if you're a rope climber, recovery is pretty important. How yep. fast you recover at those rest positions or between red point burns, or even if you're a competition climber where you have a five minute rest until right. you get on your next boulder, that recovery is important. And by the way, final thing about how the energy systems dovetail, the aerobic energy system is what regenerates the anaerobic alactic energy system. Right. We talked about the creatine phosphate in, the, uh, in your muscles that help uh, power those brief short movements, maximal movements. It gets created aerobically. All recovery is aerobic. So, uh, you know, that's why even a boulderer you can make a case for doing some aerobic conditioning 
at least climbing specific aerobic conditioning because if their mitochondria can regenerate that creatine phosphate more quickly, um, they will recover more quickly between boulders. They'll recover more quickly on micro rests uh, where you just get to flex your hand once or twice for two seconds and you get enough to do one more move. Right. Yeah. Uh, we've all experienced that. Yep. I did yesterday. I was on last man standing and I made it through all the hard stuff, but mm -hmm. my grip was giving out and I got one or two quick flex, uh, flexes of my fingers, not even long enough to get into my chalk bag, right. but it was enough to get a little oxygen moving, mitochondria crank out a few ATP, and boom, I was able to grab one more crimp and finish the route. Awesome. That micro recovery uh, is trained by doing some targeted aerobic energy system training. So again, even if you think it's all about the maximum strength and power, you find out the energy systems dovetail and to really, I think, climb your best, you need a nuanced program that addresses all three energy systems. I'm glad you said that because now I'm going to refer all my bouldering clients back to this podcast. So that, <laughs> yeah. Because when I give them, you know, low intensity recovery days that are mostly just aerobic climbing, they're like, well, I'm just a boulder. I don't need to do that. You know, and right, and I feel like they do. Yeah, so. and there's a couple important distinctions, and maybe we can move into the aerobic energy system here, the third and yep. final energy system. Yep, let's go. Um, there. You know, a couple of the distinctions we need to recognize the difference between a general aerobic training activity like running or any other, mm -hmm. you know. Swimming, biking, you name it. Um, I prefer running, but you could do a concept two rower machine. That's right. a generalized aerobic training, works your whole body. Right. It doesn't target the climbing muscles. Then you have climbing specific aerobic training where you're um, targeting the forearms and the pulling muscles uh, with um, a climbing activity or a training activity that is at the proper intensity to primarily work that aerobic energy system, not going too deep into the lactic energy system. One thing I present in the book that I think is unique, I, don't, I haven't seen it presented for a climber yet, is the idea of a training intensity scale. It's a subjective perceived exertion scale um, where based on the pump that you're feeling, the breathlessness that you um, acquire, uh, and just your effort uh, on a scale of one to 10, um, being able to roughly approximate what energy system you're targeting. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's actually a graphic in the book that explains it a lot better than I can with words here in a podcast. Um, but that very um, casual, low intensity climbing People call it arc training or recovery training, right. where you're just kind of moving in the wall. There's very little sense of any pump. Um, you're, that's probably like a, at best an effort of five out of ten. Um, that obviously targets the aerobic energy system. You're not getting pumped. You're not doing maximal moves. You can climb for 20 or 30 minutes traversing on easy terrain. Um, yep. And you're and, not getting pumped. I think that's, not, that's a you're really not important getting part of pumped. that. You're not getting pumped. Yeah. You know, so that lower yeah. intensity training, recovery training, arc training, whatever you want to call it, your perceived exertion is at best a five. As you get higher on that perceived exertion scale, usually it's around a seven or eight where the pump starts to develop. Right. Um, you get, you know, to a nine, it's a blistering pump. Uh, you're out of breath. You're deep into the lactic energy system, the anaerobic lactic energy system. You're no longer training just the aerobic energy system. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, all three energy systems are all operating simultaneously sure. at all times. Yep. It's just about which one's doing the most work, which one's being taxed the most or uh, becomes the limiting constraint. So it's usually around a seven or eight on that perceived exertion scale where the pump starts to build and you kind of cross a threshold and it's not it, it, it's not a sharp crossing it's you know it's a, it's a transition and actually the most effective training of the aerobic energy system isn't that arc training that recovery training that's at a five out of ten but it's right when you're in that threshold zone where the the pump is starting to build um i say i talk uh, you know again when i train at my house i i think about a moderate pump 
that is kept under control uh-huh. versus a pump that becomes blistering and you're breathless and you're out of control. You've gone yep. really deep into the anaerobic lactic at that point. So the, the the best for training mitochondria efficiency and mitochondria are very plastic. The research shows that, you know, a dedicated four-week period of, of, of quality aerobic training can increase your mitochondria density and efficiency significantly so that you will perform better on those long routes, like Red River Gorge climbing, right. we always think of. The longer you can energize your climbing aerobically, the you know, the longer you can go till you get pumped. Right. You know, which you is say, what you say in the book it aerobic system is, you know, two minutes to two hours if you're if you're on the wall for in between that period of time. That's what that's what system's going to have to take over. That's right. But if you're on the wall a long time, if you're climbing at that low arc you know, intensity, that kind of recovery intensity where uh, you can go for 20 or 30 minutes, that's actually not the most, in my opinion, and based on research, not the most effective way to bring about right. the adaptations of the aerobic energy system. You're looking to get more pumped, right. a you little need, more pumped. You need to tax the aerobic system to get it to adapt. I mean, <clears> we're talking about you know, angiogenesis, building of capillaries. We're talking about increasing oxidative enzymes. We're talking about, most importantly, mitochondria density and efficiency, um, among other adaptations that occur. And you'll get the best adaptations by taxing your aerobic energy system uh, as maximally as you can without dipping too deep into the anaerobic lactic energy system. Because you dip too deep into that and get acidic, that actually you know, uh, has a negative effect on mitochondria. Right. So again, we, uh, I call it threshold workouts and that's not a name I invented. That's been used by runners for decades. Yep. Where on when, your scale would you put that? Right. So f- for every climber, it would be different, but that threshold level would be anywhere from a seven to an eight and a half, the way okay. I present it on my scale. So again, you're, you're, you're starting to get pumped but it's a controllable pump. It's not the blistering pump. It, you're not starting to suck for air. Uh, you're not like starting to thrash on your your route or your your climbing whatever you know platform you're using. Um, it's all about maintaining control. And if you find yourself losing control, you lower the intensity and get back under yeah. control. Yep. And and so you, um, I I think an interval training approach where you climb in that threshold zone of seven to eight and a half for anywhere from at least three minutes, but up to maybe seven or eight minutes. Going much longer than that, again, it, you're, you're, to go much longer than that, you're probably at a, a, to a too low of level, an intensity, right? right. So uh, again, it's, it's, it's not a precision thing, um, but I think that subjective uh, seven to eight and a half out of 10 is what most climbers would want to target. And if you find you're thrashing, you're getting a, a, a strong or a heavy pump, um, you're getting out of breath, you're, you're about to fall off, well, then you've gone way too deep. You got to pull back. Yeah. And so it takes a little bit of experience to kind of suss it out. We're lucky to have a tread wall at our house. So we actually have different size holds on the wall. And actually to really format it, we made wooden holds of three different sizes. Plastic holds are great, but all plastic holds are different, and it's tough to really control your training. So by having small, medium, and large wood holds, we can adjust our training. You know, we can climb on the medium wood holds, and if we're starting to get too far, we can go to the big to the wood big holds ones. and go yeah. back um, and kind of go back and forth and just try to stay in that threshold zone for whatever we're, have we decided to go three or five or eight minutes, whatever it would be. And then you take a rest and the rest should not be all that long. They should at most be a one-to-one work rest ratio. Um, and then you get back on. And so your total climbing time will end up being 30 or 40 minutes, mm-hmm. um, but you're not doing 30 or 40 minutes straight. Again, if you're doing 30 or 40 minutes straight, you're at too low right. of, of uh, an intensity level to really bring about the best adaptation. So I like to differentiate between the recovery climbing or the arc climbing, which is the longer, lower intensity. And that's good to do on just an easy day, a recovery day, versus a, a threshold workout, which ends up being a pretty hard workout. Uh, but again, you have to have self-control and not go too deep 
that it turns into anaerobic lactic workout. Right. And uh, so, and again, that's where, you know, you may have the best plan written down on paper, but if you can't execute it and have the self-control to stay where you yeah, need to be. Self-control's the, the limiting and it's factor tough. there. You, you need know, to be in control. Yeah, you know, one term that I, uh, I, I use in this book, and <clears throat> it's actually perfect. Uh, I, I've not heard someone else talk about it, but climbers have a pump lust. Mm, yeah, right? for sure. You go That's to the gym. Word, yeah. Yeah, you go to the gym, you want that pump. Yeah. And unless you've gotten that blistering pump, unless you walk out of the gym feeling like you can't, you know, turn the keys in your ignition, you feel like you had a bad workout. Yeah. You have to get past I'm that. I'm totally going to use that. Yeah. You I, got, I grew up that way. I had yeah. I had pump lust forever. You, you got to get past the pump <laughs> lust. So, uh, and uh, now if you're doing an anaerobic lactic workout, then go for it, you know, uh, you know, satisfy that lust. Yeah. But if you're doing a threshold workout or if you're doing a, a strength power workout, you know, be free of the lust yeah. <laughs> and uh, know that you're, you're, you're leveraging science and not succumbing to the lust of the pump. And, uh, and so a climber, they might do a perfect threshold workout but then wreck it at the end because they have to get pumped because yeah. they have to get pumped, you know? Yeah. And uh, I saw a post know. by Andrew Bisher at the other day that I thought said this pretty well. It just said training is about restraint yeah, and performance. I don't remember what he said it was about, but basically that's the part I want to highlight is that you have to use restraint, especially when you're training yeah. these energy systems. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's, you know, climbers are going to the gym and doing what they intuitively think is the best thing. We fail on routes because we pump out. Uh, we fail on routes, you know, uh, you know, a long, hard, steep red point, and you're just, you know, you fall going for the anchors on the force at the red, as I did several times <laughs> yeah. a few years ago. Yep. You feel like, oh man, your body's wasted. You're sucking for air. Yep. And you think, I got to go to the gym and replicate that perfectly. And there's value and in that. And there is value in that, but that can't be every workout. Right. Especially if you're, you need to learn the skill of climbing with a pump and learning how far you can go before you fail. You know, that's where I, I prescribe that type of climbing for people. You know, go until failure, even though that's not the popular thing to do. I think if you don't learn it while you're training, you're going to learn a hard lesson while you're performing. Right, right. And, you know, it's... And but it's, it should be kept early on in your climbing, I think. Yeah, and it's obviously important to train that anaerobic lactic energy system, the right. one that gives you that massive blistering pump. You, you need to train it. You can't ignore that. But a lot of climbers, that every workout ends up devolving into that, into training that energy system. And here's the interesting thing that's the least trainable of the three energy systems right. is the anaerobic lactic energy system. The adaptations that result from that are very limited. So if you're training that all the time, you're missing the boat. And training um, the other two will help it. Training the other two will hugely help it. Right. By getting stronger, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll be able to climb at a lower percentage of your maximum and dip less deeply into the lactic zone. And by having a stronger aerobic system, you can be powered aerobically longer. So again, it gets back to you need to train all three energy systems, but most climbers, most of the time, and I've been there for years, devolve into training or you know, trying to satisfy that pump lust because that's what they experience when they fail and therefore they conclude every workout has to end that way. Every workout has to target that. And I'm telling you, listener, if that is you, you're not training as effectively as you can. And really, those adaptations that result from those blistering workouts, they accumulate um, and increase for only two to four weeks. That's what you know it, it's looking like. Um, so if you're doing more than a two to four week block of anaerobic lactic training, after that two to four week period, you're kind of wasting your time. Mm -hmm. The most important time to do that two to and four your week. Skin. Yeah, and your skin. Yeah, and maybe uh, <laughs> your joints and your yeah. tendons and everything else. But the most important time to do that two to four week block of that pumpy anaerobic lactic training is right before your performance yep. climbing. Exactly. So you want to train your aerobic energy system. You want to train your anaerobic alactic. That's your strength and the power. 
And then your last block, if you're going into competition or if you're heading on a road trip or if you're heading to a crag to go for your PR red point, your last two to four weeks of your cycle should be that anaerobic lactic energy system because it does a couple of things for you. It gets the anaerobic enzymes up. It gets your buffering systems up and working. Um, and that's what you want heading to performance day. The strength and the aerobic training have to be done way ahead of time. And then kind of that, that, that last period uh, trains that anaerobic lactic energy system. Now, you can't train it up to the last day. You need to taper right. properly. And right. I have a section in the book about how to do a proper taper. Um, you know, you, you want to get to the crag fresh, uh, obviously. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing I always even tell my kids um, is you can't cram when it comes to training. Yeah. If you're heading to the crag on Saturday and Sunday, a blistering workout on Thursday is not a smart thing. Yep. Even if you're young and recover quickly, it's still not a smart thing. Yeah, even if, you, I mean, if you're a weekend warrior and you get Tuesdays, Thursdays to train, that doesn't mean at the peak of your season, you should be going hard on Thursday in preparation nope. for the weekend. No, nope, you're not going to be 100%. Yeah. And, uh, but yet it's gratifying because you think, man, I'm getting that last minute workout in that's really going to make the difference. And oftentimes that last minute workout, yeah, it makes the difference. It prevents you from sending your prodge on the weekend. Yep. So, um, you know, again, that's the art of program design. And, um, and that's where a really good coach can be helpful. I mean, many times throughout my book and every time I give a training talk or engage somebody electronically, I say find a good coach. If there's one in your area or if you have access to a Chris Hampton or whoever, um, find a good coach. Um, and you know, it's sometimes hard to tell a good from a bad coach, you know, um, and uh, so that's a whole other topic. But, um, uh, you know, uh, the art of exercise program design, that that is really huge. And having that, you know, that long-term game plan. Um, it's not about what you did your last workout. It's what you did the last 10 weeks or the last... 10 years if you're really in a long-term Yeah, program. no doubt. I think that's really important to say. And that's probably a good place for us to wrap it up. I know you've got family and dinner and Tony's Pizza Tony's to get to. Uh, <laughs> but man, congrats on the book again. And thank you for the years of mentorship. You know, definitely you your books were were huge for me early on. You know, the How to Climb 512 and reading those books early when I started sport climbing and and really getting into training were were big for me. Well, and, I appreciate And I that. appreciate you letting me into this circle that you're yeah. in. So. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, one thing in recent years I've enjoyed more and more is really encouraging the next generation of climbers and the next generation of climbing coaches. I hear almost monthly from uh, a college student who's studying exercise physiology. Yeah. Maybe they're pursuing their master's and they're looking for research topics. Uh, they want to cut themselves a career in climbing or training for climbing. And uh, and I, I, I like encouraging those. I hear from people that want to write climbing books, and I actually encourage them. You know, <laughs> I mean, when you talked about starting your business, I encouraged yeah, you. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, there's maybe some coaches or authors out there who – think that only their stuff counts, but that's not me. I, I, I think uh, the more information, the better. Of course, the consumer of that information has to do their due diligence and understand the resource uh, or the source of that information and try to determine the quality of it um, and, uh, and, and also try to reconcile the often conflicting information that's out there. Um, and, and that can be a challenge for, yeah. for the consumer. My book, hopefully, <clears throat> while again, not the final word, um, hopefully can give a good, uh, mature um, uh, understanding of the science um, and of how to go about uh, training. And uh, with that, um, you know, hopefully, you know, become a healthy, strong climber for life and, um, you know, yeah. but, and, uh, if, and if you get something from Eric's books and, you know, send him a message, let him know. I know he loves to hear that stuff. And that, yeah, the, the, the climber feedback's the best. I mean, every time yeah. we travel these summer trips, you know, every, you know, crag I go to and last summer in Europe, people recognize me or the family and come up and the kudos and the appreciation and the smiles and the faces. I mean, that's, you know, that's why I do all this. That's why I got into training for climbing. It's probably why you got into training yep. for, you know, Todd Skinner and I used to joke that we enjoyed training almost as much as climbing. And I yeah. think, you know, you're probably that way as well. I mean, yeah, and I'm finding now that I, I like watching 
the people I coach succeed maybe more than I yeah. care about my own successes, you know? For sure. When someone sends something, I get so excited. And when I send something, yeah. it's like, okay, on to the next one. Yeah, you yeah, know? that joy. Because we can all relate to like, clipping the anchors on your yeah. project. It's one of the, that's why we keep coming back. Um, but, uh, you know, training is fun. And I guess the closing thought I would have for people is smart training is even better. You know, it's yeah. even more fun because that means you're training effectively. And, uh, you know, um, you know, so hopefully people can take away the idea of that pump lust. There's workouts yeah, to... I'm going to use that for There's sure. workouts to satisfy that and there's workouts to, to, to avoid it and yeah. to shun that. Um, and the other thing I guess readers should or listeners should do is ask themselves what junk training they can get rid of. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's stuff that we all do at the gym that provides no benefit whatsoever. Yep. It's like there's dogma that says you should do this or do that. Or, you know, that extra final lap on your router problem, maybe the smarter thing is to not do it. And, you know, so yeah. then that's where climbing wisdom comes in. And uh, so to train smarter means to not necessarily train harder. And uh, I guess with that, we can wrap it up here. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll go get some pizza. I appreciate yeah, you, you hey, sitting down with me. Absolutely. Any, anytime, Chris. All right. Oh, man. What a great talk. Filled, absolutely filled with information. You're going to have to listen to that one a couple of times. Uh, I got a lot out of it listening to it the second and third times myself. So uh, definitely go back and check that out. And definitely look for Eric's book online. Uh, I've got some links on the blog site. <clears throat> so you can definitely pick it up there through Amazon. Uh, the third edition of Training for Climbing. I really, really believe that it's Eric's best book. And, and I really appreciate uh, that Eric is the go-between guy, between these, uh, these lab coats in, their, you know, in the labs and the, the climbers who are out there actually doing it. Um, Eric is a good, a good person to talk to those guys because he retains that scientific information which is really hard for me to do and then he can translate it into real climber speak uh, because he's actually out there on the rocks doing the thing and um you know I, I train and i coach by feel mostly and by anecdotal evidence and and uh, what works for each individual person but i like to know the science so that i can apply it and eric makes it easy for me to understand and he'll make it easy for you to understand as well. So definitely check that out. Um, and don't forget, we've got uh, the new app plans uh, out that were former eBooks, and those are the Boulder Better, the Boulder Strong, and all the variations of the Climb 512 program. So check out powercompanyclimbing.com, click on the Train With Us link, and you'll find those. Uh, also, we've got the ebooks out there still. Those things are popular. If you haven't checked them out, you might just find one for you. And look for us on the social medias uh, the Facebook, the Instagram, the Pinterest, uh, and the Twitter. Yeah, don't look for us there because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. It's time to be